Hello, sexy people. This is the dev panel that was at BritishCon this year. On the panel, we have John Crew, Robbie Elms, Declan Troughton, and a person who is suspiciously not Simon Vickers. In addition, Brian Chambers flew over from Frankfurt to attend and also hang out with the backers, and he too is on the panel. Hey everyone, I'm Brian Chambers, and you're listening to Late Night Vacuum. It's not really influenced 
Um, my my Lego game experience hasn't really influenced my squadron um, development, but uh, like I say, the core is, is solo. It's all the same as creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah stuff like that. Really. Exactly the same as Declan saying now. It's also a team confusion down the road in Wilmslow. Um, Zeph about three years and stuff, and once again, Tiger and his children, but with Lego building and such that, it's like level building at the same level, building structures and stuff like that, blocking out space where the player will maneuver, know when to trigger sequences and such as that, really. Once again, completely different mediums, but broadens your creativity as a whole. I, I've been making games for about 20 years, so I've got a ton that I've worked on. Um, I think the culmination of everything that I've worked on, you, you do things that work, you do things that don't work, you're successful, you fail, so on and so on. You take all those experiences um, and they can be applied to anything, right? So I can help look at roadmaps, I can help look at our future growth, I can help look at pipelines. I've been an art director, I've been an animation director. Um, Remember working at some of the early like Might and Magic games up through the GTA titles up through UFC and so on. So it's very broad in genre. Um, but honestly, every single thing you do, it's all experience that I help bring to the table. So, um, but I will say with that that this project by itself has a whole bunch of unique challenges, which is which is awesome. Um, usually projects that jump into are among ones that, that aren't going to be the easiest. It's a, I don't want to just come to work and relax. I want to come to work and push myself. So, um, yeah, so it's really a combination of everything. So. Um, I came from ProTech at the UK studio, which used to be pretty radical, so they had a pretty heavy multiplayer uh, design philosophy there. Uh, doing lots of games there. Worked on all three Crisis games. And does anyone that's ever worked with CryEngine will know it's not a particularly, it's not like other engines where there's a huge amount of tutorials. You have to really get in and learn it and learn by experiencing. You have to get dirty. Yeah, you have to get dirty. Uh, so there's a huge amount of knowledge there just from years of just working in it that I could just simply just bring over and get in game. Um, <clears throat> I used to work at Evolution Studios. So I don't know if you played Motorstorm or Drive Club. So I worked on those four games um, as a systems designer. So the last five years or so, designing progression, leveling up systems, uh, economies, uh, a lot of vehicles. So in tech design, that's put straight to use of making spaceships fly the same way that we made Lamborghinis, drive-by tracks, or uh, whatever. So many cars. Um, so yeah, uh, that like as a direct one to one making vehicles, handle has uh, <coughs> been a lot of my day job. Uh, but also with system stuff, it's a lot of how did my bit of the game work with this bit of the game, and with a racing game, there's so much going on in terms of on track stuff as well as your career and your upgrades and your engine and your competitors and whatever it starts with. And it's uh, there's not just your ship. There's also space stations, there's also training and fighting and exploration and uh, science and industry and so much, so many moving pieces that, uh, yeah, as Brian said, you want to push yourself every day, so learning new things that's on the edge of your comfort zone is pretty cool. 
one bit of my, my own trivia really quick. Um, the very first game that I did freelance work for at that time uh, for animation was Freelancer. <laughs> Which is a little silly, a little ironic. I'm doing freelance for freelancer, and then I flash forward how many years, and now I'm here. It's Great. Uh, question for the level designers on the panel. Um, which comes first, the location and planning that out, or the challenges that take place within that play arena? Do you design the level and then think what's going to have to do, or the other way around? I mean, shit. It's concept. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of all of it. Yeah, it depends on the unison you work with. It's like with one state, like shooting station, we'll cut, like, we'll block out the, like, different interior sections of it to fit the concept that we show of the exterior ship and stuff like that, or the station. And then they'll also work around it to fit our changes as well. So it's not like one overrides the other. It's like working in unison with artists and yeah, concept. And, and I guess with, like, with the address. Um, we had a ship, we like, designed a ship, and then we thought, oh, where can we place this video, this story, like, we can have this in like, this room with the power of it, and, um, you know, the crew quarters, the bridge, that's also, so it was more like placing things within the environment that already existed, um, as opposed to, like, creating um, gameplay for something that will exist, so, like I say, it's a bit of both, so it just depends on the environment and yeah, the artist. <laughs> So how early do level designers get involved in the design process? Is it concept art stage, earlier, later? When do you that? As possible. As possible. As soon as we get a script um, for what the basis of the mission will be involved in, as soon as we get like, sort of, like some form of concept, so we'll, like, rough, uh, we'll get the natural beats of the mission, we'll go, okay, this is happening, this is the whole narrative here, and then we sort of like, block it out from there, essentially. We have a lot of questions about procedural generation. Uh, very interested to find out how that would fit in um, with, with the whole storyline. We were very particularly interested to know how the handcrafted and procedurally generated levels and planets interact. We've seen some stuff recently, just yesterday actually, just yesterday, and it's looking awesome. What do you mean by how will they interact? Uh, well, the full question was, how do you plan and design a handcrafted level that is to be added into the procedural planet? Do you use a batch replace method, or is there some sort of mesh system that takes the stuff and merges into the terrain and smooths out the edges? That was from Zenoa. Yeah, yeah. So, um, ironically enough, just today, uh, PC Games did an article on procedural generation. Somebody tweeted it to me, so I guess it came out live. I heard it's going to be on Newsstands next week. Unfortunately, it's all in German, but um, we had the press out uh, a couple weeks ago, and they had hands-on where they were flying around, landing on the planet wherever they wanted, got out, running around, shooting, doing the whole thing. More on your question, with it's not going to answer it 100% directly, but it'll give you guys at least an idea. Um, the procedural generation allows us to create a large planet procedurally, and we can say that's an ice planet, we can say it's a desert planet, we can say it's a forest planet, whatever it is that we want to, as long as the art's there to support it. Um, that's not enough, as you guys know with gameplay, when you be able to design things out so they're fun, so they make sense, so you're going a specific way, you know, and we're, we're leading people by shape language, or whatever other things we're doing, right, to make it fun and, and, and cool and to fit narrative. Um, so we've also created a series of tool sets that the artists um, will be able to use 
where they can sit on top of the procedural and very quickly paint in what they need or paint out what they don't need. Um, there's more information that's in the article that starts talking about it, and you guys will get more information here really, really soon. Um, as an example, and I'll try to make it quick, let's say we have a, a mountainous planet, and we want to dig in an area and have it more gameplay, and we want more shrubbery, more rocks, more grass. We have a tool set where that artist could easily go in with their, their tablet, their Wacom tablet, and they are pushing and pulling terrain, right? And that's live and Indian, they click a button and boom, it's physicalized. Next step that they do, they go, cool, we're going to place these, they bring in their buildings and place them. And now they want edges to have more shrubbery and all that. They will put in what we just call like a bucket, and they'll say, cool, I'm going to put three types of grass in here, and I'm going to put four types of rocks, and I'm going to put these small shrubs. They can now take those, those are all in their bucket, and they can paint those in. Every single rock that drops will have a slightly different orientation, a slightly different depth, maybe even slightly variation of color, and those are all variables we can change. Um, and just imagine what I just said there, and that concept expanding and expanding and expanding to even larger things and full trees and so on. So again, I can, we can paint in. The other day, uh, I walked by Sasha, one of our, our programmers' desk, and he was on a planet, zoomed out, so it kind of filled up his whole screen. And he uh, spelled my name in trees. <laughs> and then he, he clicked a button, and he was in that level, blowing the trees up. And the splinters were coming off of them, right? Um, it's incredibly important that things are handcrafted. They need to be. We're not creating procedurals so we don't have to do any work. We're creating procedurals so we can have the vast array of exploration that we want. But we absolutely need to go in and, and hand tweak these things. If we didn't have tools to officially do that, you know, it would it would suck, <laughs> right? We wouldn't be able to pull off what we needed with with as many planets as we have. That kind of answers this question. Jeff, I think you mentioned earlier yeah. that um, um, you get the script and you, you build the, the levels based around that. Obviously, you can't tell us a whole bunch of stuff. But is there anything you can tell us about a problem you've experienced where the story gave you a real challenge and you had to work around that into the design? Yeah, um, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but essentially, if we get a problem with the script, um, like we, we have a back and forth with the writers like all the time. Um, and we'll just talk out the problem and say, this might not work as well for like gambler reasons, and then we'll maybe explain why they think it might work. And, um, like I say, it's just a back and forth. Yeah, so there's a compromise, but we always we resolve it. Yeah, yeah, it's always resolved. It's always for the betterment of the game. Exactly. Well. Uh, no one wants to make a crap game, so um, usually. <laughs> um, where would you say the design focus? Is it on immersion, or is it on giving the player opportunities to explore, to have fun, or the, those big spectacular set pieces? Or is it just balancing all those? That's a really good one because, like, it's dependent on narrative beats as well as stuff. Like you want to have like a big bombastic event happen. You want to fine tune that. That like it might break it up. Of course, you don't be immersed and it's full sort of form of realism. But you also want to have that nice Hollywood factor to like remember that set piece. Oh yeah, when I was fighting those pirates, and then that thing happened. Like you want to fine tune that kind of stuff. And you know, it's hard to say really. It's like is it a work in unison? Like you still want to keep some immersion, but it's all. I've got to myself a hole there really. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I can't make it a sim game. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, it's simulation. 
but yeah, it's like you said, as long as we've got those set pieces in, those like key beats that I recommend those in, are hopefully super fun. Um, yeah, thank you. Can you tell us any anecdotes about something you've done in the design process that you were especially proud about? It's the thing with designers, I think. Like whenever you make a piece of work, I'm artist, and anyone in a creative role, you, you make it, and you, know, you might get a few people saying that's cool. Yourself, and so you'll always see that photo, you'll always see that. Yeah, issue, you're so. too far deep into it, and yeah, you'll see yeah, other floors yeah. when, yeah. when you step back and look at how everyone else has seen it with fresh eyes. Like you said, though, with the Moritzov, I'm super proud of like Simon over there, who is a here and Rich and the AI guys who are like on subscription at the moment, like they stayed like just as late as I did, and it was just, it was just awesome to see that. So I've all come together um, by the end of it, so I'm proud of that camaraderie, I guess. You do a lot of internal playtests and stuff that hasn't been shown yet. Early stuff in your prototype. Like what? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Be careful about that. But um, yeah, every Friday, or hopefully every Friday, for Bill's not doing um, we get to check out someone's doing a, a shooting bit, or someone's doing a new flight model, or someone's got a new ship that's almost flying. So can we all get on and can we all play it? And then afterwards, especially the design team are encouraged to mail in their, their thoughts and their feedback and their top 10 likes and dislikes. And that's always really great when you've got something that you, I hope this is all right, and I've seen it with my own eyes, but I think it's okay, and my lead seen it, and he thinks it's okay, but what does the rest of the team think? And for, you know, sometimes someone tells you, hey, that, didn't, that didn't work, okay, we'll go back to it. And then, you know what, we all had a really good time, and then, the next time someone CRs in the office or something, they come check this out. Or players, or could you just do a video of this for the rest of the studio group to see? And that's when that's when it really feels like we've broken new ground here. We've pushed things forward, and I don't even know uh, when it's going to be in players' hands or on the PE or PT or whatever. Um, it's kind of it's weird when you're you're in it, and then you find out, oh, that finally made it. And sometimes it's the next week, and sometimes it's. That's not really due for a while, but we needed that to make this work. So, um, yeah, it's quite weird working in the bubble sometimes, but even internally, you get such gratification. The cool little things that you're working on, top of people. Yeah, it's like every month or so, you think, oh, that thing was great, and then something new done comes along. When I first started, the first ship I set up was the M50, I thought, oh, this is great. And then few months later, it was the Gladius with all the new damage tech, and this is amazing, all this stuff blowing up. And a few months later, it's retaliated with physics screens inside it, just sat inside, looking out the window, this is planet sphere out above. And then it's, it's just crazy how much, as you go through it, you see, oh, that's cool, but no, this is way cooler. Yeah. So, who's going to stop? So, yeah. Yeah. When can we stop making cool things? <laughs> <laughs> so, yesterday, I was on a planet and I just looked up, looked at this moon and I thought, that's cool. But it's just that big sphere moon object we've got. So, got a plane, got on planet, flew up there, went, oh wait, no, this isn't just a big sphere, it's textured, it's an actual procedural one. I said, oh, I'm going to land in it. I said, I'm going to land in no, I'm going to land in this crater here. So, I did. Got up, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then we go back again, go all the way back. You, you go through it then, right? <laughs> <laughs> you think that through, you kind of know what he was doing with it. 
Just in my testing. No, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, everything that we're doing is rewarding. It is a collaborative effort. Uh, we'll try things and we will fail, absolutely. Um, there's sometimes a big disconnect on the, on the design side between what we write out on paper and what we mean about, you know, round line and think and implement it. You know, it's not as fun or it's not as engaging as it can be. So then we we'll spend time when we play test every Friday as much as we can um, within the whole company. Uh, company-wide, all offices, and, and then we, we find those bits that are absolutely working, kind of then take that and, and build it. Um, somebody mentioned subsumption yeah, along one of the biggest questions, and I have a specific question from Brian Mercer to Brian Chambers. Talk to us about subsumption, please. <laughs> no. I'm not the guy to, to go into the low level of subsumption. I'm not, um, you know, subsumption is internally what we're, we're calling kind of our whole AI ecosystem, the way we're, we're generating these careers um, and the behaviors uh, that people are going to have. It's, it's a way that unifies all of the AI throughout the entire game. Um, the amount of careers that are there and the amount of behaviors we need them to do are really, really thick. But it's 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 a whole entire tool set that allows people to implement and tune and tweak things as efficiently as possible. I can't go into the tech end right now, um, but that is something through through Frankfurt we're we're driving right now, as well as with Boston and with UK. Um, and I think on the upcoming uh, ATV out of Frankfurt, which will be in a couple of weeks, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper with uh, uh, our lead AI programmer, Francesco. So we'll actually have them have videos and kind of show the tool set and behaviors that they're creating and really kind of what does it mean to the project. <coughs> Important to know the reason why we took a quarter step back to create a new tool set to be able to do this was to be able to have a solid foundation for all the years to come. We want to create something, we, we don't want to just do something where we know it'll work for today, but then next year or the next year after that it won't be robust enough. Um, so we're creating this that we know in a way it'll have the hooks for us to hook things in in the future and it'll have the longevity for however we want to explain it. It's interesting to mention longevity there. Um, how do you find balancing the requirements of what you need right now versus what you know you're going to need a year down the line? Do you develop just pragmatically or are you able to take a longer term view? You have to take a longer term view. You have to with this project, right? Um, there are, you know, there's obviously there's squadron. And there's big PU, a lot of shared in between there, some specific in between there. After we deliver even what uh, has been discussed and what is public and what is promised and what you guys backed and what you guys asked for, for Squadron and for PU, we have lists and lists and lists of stuff that we still want to do, right? Um, as as the previous panel, you know, hopefully this goes on for years and years and years. We need to make the foundation as tight as possible 
I've worked on projects in the past where we didn't think about wood. And um, technically, if I made a foundation a certain way, our animation engine, and then later, I realized eight months later, I need, you know, FK and IK to behave a certain way to do these things. It's going to take two engineers six months to do it. If I realized from the beginning, that's just an extra week of work with one guy, right? So we take the time to plan ahead and understand what it is that we need to do from the design side, from the play side, and everything um, to build that foundation. Can you tell us anything about your development methodology in terms of how you do software? Do you have whiteboards? Do you have cards? Do you have Kanban? Those kind of things? Or is it all just a document process? Anything about that process? I love whiteboards. I made, I made sure we got extra whiteboards. <laughs> because, yeah, just drawing it out, visualizing what you've got in your head for an idea, quickly drawing a crew, stick my ship, here's the thrust, here's what we need to do, and what happens with this, and here are the ranges for radar and scanning or whatever. It's just easier to, to visualize. I mean, you can do it on a notepad, but when you gather six people around your notepad, oh, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. Sure, I meant kind of like agile methodologies and that kind of thing versus... Yeah, uh, yeah. we Scrum, we... Recently, well, I speak for the UK Tech Sun, I can't speak for any other departments, but we, we always sort of were doing Scrums, but it was never proper. It was like, oh, we'll have... We'll plan out this month, and this is what we want to achieve. So forth. And now we're, we're really doing proper two week sprints. We've got proper tracking, proper production support to make sure everything's getting done properly. Goals at the start, reviews at the end to make sure we're not overscoping what we can do or we're not under delivering what we can do at the time. Um, on Monday, the UK Tech Sign Park will be eight people, so that's a, that's a fair amount of people to, to manage now. And there's, there's always the future planning. There's, we still have to split our time between what we want for the next release, what we want for Squadron, what we want for long-term planning for that, as well as supporting the everything that we've released so far, which is no new feat. Um, whenever some, someone comes up to me and says, oh, can you just put this one thing on all the ships? It's like, there's like 40 ships out there. So if it took me an hour to do that, that's a week gone. Just to do that, you just tweak just one little thing on every ship. So, there's someone gone for a week just doing it. So. Um, how does SAR Systems' um, uniquely public development model affect your day to day jobs? Do you find it makes it easier, harder? Do you feel that being on display in that way, and the regular reports that go out, does that, is that a positive or a negative thing? And I think I can guess your answer. It's never really enough. It's, no, it's, yeah. it's weird because you guys don't talk about what you do. The outside, like yeah. literally, no one knows. Sworn to secrecy. Yeah. Whereas the next ship that we're working on, sometimes we find out from around the dress before. Like, oh, someone just promised this, so we'd make a mission. So it's it's so weird going from Sony where. You don't say anything until 12 lawyers have signed off what yeah. you can say. And we want it in this press release, so you can only confirm what's in the press release. Um, and then weekly, you find out something they're like, I didn't even know what I was talking about. That's so cool, because you want to talk as a game player. We love what we do. Yeah. We're so excited about the things we've seen, and we'll tweet teasers about, just saw this amazing thing. 
please someone to classify that so we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So instead of waiting two years to talk about this, we can wait a week, wait two weeks or something. So it's it's so cool to be able to infuse with people, especially in things like this. Especially, oh, did you see that thing? That's so cool. So much like Will says, just coming from where a company where you sort of locked in a black hole for two, two and a half years, yeah. and then suddenly bang, everything's out there. Now we can talk about it. Next game. To I'm not quite sure if I'm going to actually engage with the community and mm. see what they think. It's like, I've been looking at this problem for weeks and I'm just blind to it now. Everyone else looks at it and they think, yeah, that's, that's fine, but what do you, do you guys think about it? Get QA or CS to post in forums, get a little feedback. And a good example of that was the shit feedback threads that you've never seen in LA QA doing, gathering everyone's feedback on the ships. So, then I get that, Tom Pappy gets that, um, Kirk in LA gets that, and we, we sit down and think, right, there's obviously all these things that everyone wants to do, work out what, what's doable, short term, long term, and see where we can go, where we can fit it in. I mean, this, this model definitely has its unique challenges. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of benefit from it as well, right? Every day, as probably a few of you guys know in here, I'm looking at you. Um, I get on Twitter, I get on Twitch um, every single day and I watch people play and I get in and I go, hey, it's me. And some people don't believe me and it's me. <laughs> make fun of me. But I banter back and forth and I'm interested in what people say and I try to answer as many questions as I can when I'm up there. Um, you take the good and you take the bad. Um, but as he was saying, I mean, I, I always say the same. It's like usually you're locked, we're locked as developers in a room for two or four years. And the only thing people see is, you know, somebody wrote a little article or you do some pretty presentation for an E3 or a C-Graph or some other trade show, and that's it, right? But we have the public eye on us. Um, so it's, it's, it's good and bad. I mean, yeah, people make fun of me because I have to be public all the time, right? And I was saying some guys earlier, yeah, I used to take it personal at first, so yeah, the first two ATVs I did, but after that you get used to it and go, okay, the internet's crazy, because, you know, you get on, we're all here because we love what we do. Everyone was panel, um, and, and the guys in Sue, we, we hire people very specifically, they're extremely skilled in what they do. Um, not everybody enjoys the public part of it. Not everybody wants the public part of it. And those people, at least in Frankfurt, I try to shield. Right. Um, but even to another point on that, when you guys play, at least in the Frankfurt side, when we first started, and our senior tech engineers, or, um, tech directors were there. Um, they looked at how the crash handler and everything was there, and they said, cool, we need to get the data dialed in as much as possible. We need stuff to be as clear as possible. Because we knew there was hundreds of thousands of people playing. And anytime there was an issue, that data for us was huge. So the more we could streamline how that data gets to us so we can sort it out, we can improve things that much faster and fix those bugs. But not only do you have the spotlight, but you guys actually playing is actually making the game better. Um, and I've been in numerous exec meetings where We've released certain things to you guys, and we have a roadmap that takes us out X amount of months. And we realize that people really like this one thing we did. We weren't planning on doing that again for six months, but you know what? We can 
actually pull that in and do that one and switch it out to give you guys more. It doesn't mess up what our end goal is because we're still on track. We're just swapping around, but we can feed, vibe off of your feedback and help kind of feed things that, that you guys are liking and that we can test out with you guys as well to see what sticks and what doesn't. The uh, lead PU designer Luke does his day at work and then he goes home and sits on Twitch all day watching people's yeah. streams. Yeah. And I'll come in next day. There's like a huge Skype email from me saying, Oh, this happened. Why can't we do this? Don't change this. 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 Find the players who have done stuff like you wouldn't have ever expected with some yeah. like release and whatnot. And I'm like, Oh, that'd be a great idea. We start pushing on that. Yeah, that's big release machines. I think a lot of people saw it for the first time. <laughs> And he'd like sent it around the office and was like, this is so cool, everyone looked at it. Dude, the first time I saw people tweaking big bennies, I literally, it was, it was nuts. I always had work just watching people, and I had one time when it was in zero G and he got it out and backed up the ship, it was just about to go, and then some jerk came in and stole his ship, and he, <laughs> he sat there on screen and twitched for like two and a half minutes just looking. <laughs> and he, he, had this up. he had spent like an hour getting it to that point, and I, like, I felt for the dude. <laughs> Watching him play the game, but, but it's silly. I mean, you guys are finding just the little bits that we're putting out there, and you guys are making as much gameplay as you can with what we have, right? And it's it's really cool to see. Yes. I've got a question from a very own board gamer, um, so I'll put my hat on just to annoy him. <laughs> uh, the question is, is there any competition between the studios? Are there friendly rivalries between, say, Frankfurt and UK and so on? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because there's a lot that's only Frankfurt does, only UK does, and LA does, and Austin does. So finding the parallels, I guess, love is a nice bit of world of its own. Um, we mainly just speak to the writers, so bring LA and sort of Dave Hasbrook, who we advise about. But in terms of tech design, it, it's a there's, there's a, a fair amount, especially when, um, <coughs> because we always like to have a few ships out with every patch, if they're hangar or flight ready. And when you get one from one studio and another from the other studio at the same time, both coming out in the same patch, it's like a race to see who gets theirs to QA first, gets the least bugs back, and then it's who's playing, who's playing it the most, yeah, which one does QA the most fun with. And yeah, I think whatever competition we have is, is friendly. Yeah. All, every studio, no exaggeration, every studio talks with every other studio every day. As long as there's nobody that's blacked out. <laughs> I, I mean, UK and, and Frankfurt, we talk the most, most likely, um, just from the time zone difference. So that never stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never stops. At the end of the day, I'm on calls with LA, sometimes with Austin, so on. We handle the things. It's just, we literally treat video conferencing, and I was with you guys, but in Frankfurt, it's just an extension of a team. At first, it was weird, like the first month where you're like, well, right? But you put on your headset, you're calling the guys, you're sharing screens, you're reviewing artwork, and so on. It's, uh, it's on been an honest extension. But I think the healthy competition is good, right? You guys want to race to see who's getting the first ship out? Who's dialed in? Yeah. And then we can boast. We go, yeah, yeah, they're playing ours. It's interesting, right? And then, you know, we could kind of be, you know. We've got a lot of screen grabs from Reddit threads about how oh, UK's making their shit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they like us more right now. Yeah. Okay. So why do they keep making all the ships? Yeah. 
And we have a lot of questions about gameplay. Some of those have already been addressed in other places. We've tried to avoid too many of those. But um, there was a question about squadrons' replayability. Uh, will it be more a single playthrough training camp style thing for the PU? Or is it something that we'll come back to again and again and again? I think to talk about replayability, just on my missions alone, the interstitials are essentially like code levels. You go back to them every time, and every time you might see something new, and we've like captured that much footage. We've got that many vignettes that, like, I think even I would struggle to see them all. You know, so there's, there's always that replayability, even in most levels. And in the, the FPS levels as well, there's always like different routes, different ways you can like approach the game, stealth, stealth, go combat, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Are there any mechanics in squadron you can tell us about other than space or FPS combat? I think for the most part, because squadron is the key key launch right now, combat is a priority. Um, as Brian was saying, we've got to get the foundations right. So as we're designing, we need scanning and radar systems for combat. But we also need to have an eye on well, sometimes going to go out there and explore, and he needs to use the same system. He needs to have the same key key bindings, and the same. He might get a bit better bit of kit, but he still needs to be able to. It doesn't need to be a new system. It needs to be the same system. So, as we're starting to branch out now into right, what's the next bit? What's the next bit? Well, what are the next? What are the other further uses of this bit of kit? The combat, fine, we've got that. Um, so yeah, we're just starting now to look at exploration. Training and like, like the next level. And we're building these ships and they've got cargo space. We've not had to use that till now. We've just said, we'll talk about that. We'll figure that out later. And now we're getting to that point now where, oh, we need a definitive answer on how cargo is going to work. We need a definitive, definitive answer on how exploration is going to work to a point so we can build these things. So we've not got those careers and those paths and those complete systems in place yet because combat is absolute number one, but because we're going to need it, need a piece of that for combat, we've had to start thinking about what do we need to know now and what can we answer later. So it's, we don't design the whole thing up front. We design what needs to be designed, knowing that we need to fix, not fix, but fill in the blanks of like, okay, how are we going to sell this information? How are we going to make money off this? And there's been a good amount of work already, as she was saying, starting to fill the last blanks. I mean, the system designers in Frankfurt have been going nuts. The documentation is thick, right? So you give the guys and say, here's these careers, here's this ship, go, and they'll brainstorm, and they'll go to whiteboards, and they'll write tons of graph, and they'll see what sticks, and if that's it, what works, and then that gets formulated more into documentation, and then more of the meetings and the team will come together. So there's definitely, since there's so many careers, uh, we're still sorting through a lot of that, which then also led itself to uh, the subsumption system having to be what it is. Um, because if I can perform that career in game, an NPC needs to be able to perform that career as well in order for the life to seem alive and feel real. So. Um. What can you tell us about the difficulty of the game? Is it adaptable? Can it cope with somebody like me who can't fly for toffee? Or do you need to be an ace? That's one of the things we're actually looking at at the moment is um, just how inaccessible. Like, someone can be completely blank. You come in and you're like, 
buttons everywhere, press this button, it did something, but it pressed it again, it didn't do the same thing. So we're doing a huge power saw just trying to the the first thing I think was in two four with the unified control, so if you're in a ship it behaves like you would on foot. And then building on that with a tutorial that gives you what you need. The tutorial was written and done before 2.0, so it never really worked with the flight model changes. So it was, it's always a fight to keep supporting this old tutorial that doesn't give us what we need. Um, so that's why we decided in the end it was just it was more it was causing more problems than it was fixing. So we're going to look at doing a better on that. We're just giving lots of feedback to players in game, giving proper hints. Got it. We think you're supposed to be doing this. You haven't pressed this button yet. So let's give you a gentle reminder on how to do this. Um, we're looking at how the ships fly because you can do so much with the ships, but you have to know how to do all that. And when it goes wrong, it really goes wrong, and you don't have to get back out of it. You'd be flying, press this button by mistake, and now your ship flies in a bit different. There's not enough feedback to you as a player to know, like, I press this, this is, this is what this is happening. So, I suppose it was like weekly design tests. There's some people who just focus primarily on the FPS section. So, so then they go, go to the uh, dogfight playtest design weekly, and they, it's a brand new learning curve for them. So we take their feedback and just all jumps together, really, and focus on that. And with Squadron as well, we've got tutorials on there. And the sport, too, so we're a bit more contextualized. So, and yeah, the difficulty in learning curves. Really. We've heard things about your uh, your gameplay experience in Squadron affecting how you um, you start in the PU. Um, is that likely to be something? Because obviously we're all going to play the same story, but are we going to have different outcomes in Squadron resulting in a different starting point? <laughs> Remembering actions from what that will definitely come across. We don't know how it will start with the PU. We're just figuring all that stuff yeah. out. And you'll definitely have ambient things that you've come across in Squadron that you go to the PU and it's 100% familiar. Yeah, it'll be the same locations bringing it across. There'll be serious things that will carry over, there'll be silly things that carry over. So there, there will be definitely crossover, but we can't say exactly what. <laughs> <laughs> Are there strong characters, strong female characters in Squadron, and is it likely to pass the Bechdel test? Which is the idea that a film should, or a piece of media should contain two at least female characters who talk to each other, not about a man. Yes. Yes. All of the institutions Any chance of trophies or some kind of achievement system that might fit with that? It was very early discussions. Yeah, many stuff. Yeah, until we're happy with what's yeah. there. Talk more 
format, but there's, yeah. there's ideas going around for that sort of stuff. Uh, I had a comment for John Crew about volumetric clouds. Some things there are really cool. There's someone in the audience that I can point out <laughs> and they can talk about that more than I can. That's, that's more for the graphics. Okay, fair enough. Um, Delnak on Reddit asked me to, to tell John Crew that he was pleased with him. Fair enough. Please. Uh, <laughs> she's really interesting um, tech that's really unusual that you wouldn't have thought, like a, a math problem, a physics problem that you've had to solve. Not just John, everybody, um, that has been an interesting challenge on uh, the The big one that's really recently changed, uh, thanks to Evo in Frankfurt, is all the head stabilization. So, walking around, because we've got a unified set of first and third person animations, it's quite jerky and bobbly. Uh, it's not great, it makes people ill. There's people in the office that can't play it because it makes them feel ill. And Evo's been banging on about chickens for, for months. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, he always keeps posting the Mercedes Magic Body Control video with the chickens rotating around as, as reference, which throws people quite a lot. But it's a proper way of keeping the third or keeping the animations of the character moving around whilst keeping the eyes dead straight. Even we got it working, and then we started putting on all the jukes and start stops, and then you start to get this weird lurching, and then you start stopping. That's all gone now. So it is completely rock solid. And now we're layering it back in, so we completely use a customizable uh, helmet that's hyperbolic. So if you don't want any of that, take it off. You've got a rock solid helmet with HUD on there if you want. But for there's a, I find it horrible, there's a crisis cinematic mod where it's got motion blur and helmets and hype moving everywhere. If you want that, take all the way up to 100, you can have that. That's, that's the biggest thing to do recently. Yeah, I think another uh, point for those always, I mean, it's doing the procedural stuff and kind of driving physics, we've had a lot of challenges that we've come up against. Um, but we've also gotten through a good amount of those challenges already. Um, physics alone was, was huge. Uh, you know, the, have this, these ships fully physicalized and, and translating and rotating, being able to hold the flat crew and be able to, to land that now on a full planet that is not a flat planet, but truly round, having those physics function the way they need to, it was actually a bit of a challenge. Uh, when I'm on that planet, when I'm you know physicalized, I'm standing on top right here, but I'm also standing up right here, and I'm standing up right here, right? So we, we had to kind of change the whole base logic of the physics to the function. Uh, and those guys worked hard and long to, to get it to where it is. Can you tell us anything about the orcs system? Any planned improvements? Um, and uh, I think that the guts of the question that I received from Ace Monster 07 on Reddit was, um, we care about data and accessibility and API access to No, it's probably not for any of us up here. I mean, we could BS about it, but I'd rather, you know. No, but if, if yeah. So sorry, if, uh, no. but if we don't have all the information, it's best to show it. And is there any hope for co op of any kind? Or is it completely? 
with where we're at at the moment, we have, there is thought for co-op and such, but with uh, such a cinematic drive at the moment, which our, at the moment our primary focus is single player, but co-op is like, uh, is, a, is a thought whilst we're still designing and such the levels on our side, but with a with heavy cinematic drive, all the scripts and stuff, our current focus is single player. Okay, we've got time, I think, for two questions from the floor. Uh, so we've got one hand on straight up, uh, and is Neil around with the mic? No, he's not. But we've got Stas Neil. Oh, the interest is one, I guess. I will relinquish. Shall I go to him? I watched a one-hour talk uh, where SETI uh, Institute had several members of a panel discussing about creating new alien languages. And it occurred to me that those alien languages were a feature of whatever media they were putting out. Vulcan, Navi. Is there something in Star Citizen that you know about that you can point to and say in the future, yeah, that's that one thing they're going to point to. Something off the right. Yeah, I'll talking years to come. Well, you've definitely got like alien races, yeah, stuff like that. But Jeanne and we've had like linguists come in and develop our languages. Ourselves, designers, I can't. Yeah, it's one, one for the writers. It's definitely one for the writers. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the lore is thick and heavy with those guys, right? The writers that we have on board, they sort of live and breathe it. Yeah. Hung out with those guys for three months when they were at the mocap shoot because they care about every word, they care about the build-up of the characters. But more to your point, the closest I could say right now is the Vandal, but that's only because that's what's in my face, right? Um, we know that the script is a lot bigger. We're focusing on a portion right now, so I really can't speak to what's in the rest of the script that I don't look at every day. Uh, the Van Duel itself, though, the thought that's gone behind it as far as movement, as far as background, about what does it do when it's casual, what does it do when it's pissed off, how does it attack, what, what's this, what's its background, what's its language. We have a linguistic guy that's come in and crafted language and all that stuff. So. Thought and attention to detail is definitely going into everything we do. From the, the detail of the weapons and the details of the ships and the details of the levels, we're also putting that detail in the characters and the building. Um, from the performances that were on stage as well, you were there a lot there too. I mean, uh, when they opened this, when it was Chris that opened this, gave a little speech um, at the very beginning to kick this off. I was there when Gary Oldman did that, right? And I'll just paint the scenario make it quick. But we're there, you're at a mocap stage. Hustle and bustle, there's like 30 people, we're setting up cameras, you got the audio guys, you got this, we're testing stuff, we're level streaming in, we're bringing in props. And it's, it's proper, right? It's, it's hustle and bustle all around. Gary Oldman comes in, and we set up his face and all that cool. Hustle bustle still going on. He's pacing back and forth, just along the stage. Everyone's passing him. We all know he's there, but you know. 
and he's got his hands behind his back, and he's just pacing back and forth and back and forth. We pulled in the podium. That's the his prop piece where the kid will come up. Uh, about an hour before, his agent and was talking with me and one of the other producers. He said, "Oh, did you hear Gary's Gary's build up of the character? Is Gary always a he's a, a method actor, right? He really gets into character." And he said, "No, he's an author." As we're still finishing setting up the set, we have the podium in there. Gary walks up onto the podium, gives his speech in full character, beginning to end. Cameras aren't rolling. Everybody in the room, so like 40 people, all stopped. I got goosebumps right now thinking about it. We all stopped and went. It was like you could have heard a pin drop in that. Right. Um, I just give that because to, that small story to say, you know, we're putting as much into this as we can. Uh, the performances, the drive of the characters, I think it's going to be something that when it comes out, and we're, we've really polished it the way that we know we can, the way we want to, I think it's going to be something that is, is extremely unique and extremely special that comes out. We will have some pin drop moments, I'm sure. Uh, and there's one question from this side of the room. Someone had a hand? Yes, great. Who what, what is your opinion? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's actually two questions in one. Is first question is what is your favourite band uh, alien species in the game? And the second question is who is your favourite character within the squad of 42? And where's the bad merchant? <laughs> <laughs> Well, my favorite character is definitely Liam Cunningham, who plays uh, Captain White. Like, just because I was down there, Liam's doing a lot of the, the scenes. So you say every time he was forming, it was just the pin drop. It was just awesome to like, see him perform. We've just had some stuff back, actually, like some yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, um, it's just incredible. Like, and on the PC Games magazine too, we actually released the first image of what his character was like too. Which was cool. Cool. Uh, uh, what's your favourite alien? Favourite alien? Um, probably the Xi'an. The Xi'an. Yeah, I'm saying the Xi'an as well. I like the ships and stuff. Um, probably my favourite character is uh, Colton, Mark Hamill's character. I was down on mocap suit, like, shoot with uh, when Mark was there, and just, he's just great at anything he just does. It's just incredible. And he's still got all struck walking past. He'll say morning to you. Yeah, frozen. It's just, oh, it, it helps so many stories, and everyone in the studio is just silent yeah, listening yeah. to him and stuff. He's just the greatest guy ever. And he does his like Joker impression, yeah. like, voice as well. Just the voice awesome. We were, the, yeah, we were shooting some lines while well, I was in the cockpit. We had this makeshift cockpit, and he was there. And we were done in between lines and went into this Joker routine yeah. for like 10 minutes. He was flying the ship as the ship is the Joker. And <laughs> That's got to be an Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did that. Tell us there's a blooper reel. I have absolutely no favorites. <laughs> and let's be honest. Each one kind of has their own unique thing. Even in ships, I've been trying, like, okay, well, what's the favorite? Well, I like this one because it's fast. I like this one because I can fly it easier. I like this one because it's got bigger guns, right? Um, I think it, each bit is cool. If you look at them, they're all unique, so it's really hard to point out a favorite. We've been doing a few Vandal ships lately, 
what what was said earlier about the the culture for the Vandal is is absolutely true. The weapons that we're putting on it, the the architecture for the for how they look. There's so much of the culture in. Well, they would use these weapons for these things, and they would they would build their ships to impose, like to intimidate before they even fired a shot. Like there's so much love that's got into the way they look, even though they're ruthless, ruthless bastards. I I can't help but um, admire the battle in their in their country way. Right? A little bamboo, right? Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Yeah. I can't. I think they misunderstood. <laughs> cup of cocoa and a cuddle and a timeout. I can't talk about my favorite guy because he's not. He's not this this phenomenal. phenomenal. Wow, that's like a double phenomenal check up, like acting. Why is someone not a But I love Amanda as well. There's there's some supremely evil stuff going on there. That's at the end of the day, it's always cool. Yeah, their ships, their big cap ships, are going, having a slight rework. Because mm. they're just like, oh, evil spikes, just throw spikes on them, make it look really spiky. That's, but that's not really. No, as they've been developed. They like their spikes, but they're not. Yeah, we've come back a bit. Chaos Space Marine spikes on everything. <laughs> sort of <laughs> um, and briefly about the band emerging. <gasps> Anyone that was looking super close to the ATV stuff, uh, New Health may have seen something, but it's on our list of stuff to look at. It's the, uh, the UK guys will be looking at it due to the size of it. So UK office tends to do larger ships. So we make them they'll probably be even bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scale up by one point two five pretty much. <laughs> Fantastic. I just got one last question, which is do you need any DevOps engineers? Because I can start on Monday. Okay. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Let's bring in the fantastic <laughs> <laughs>